the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Welcome to Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg. And it is Panhandle Live for this 22nd day of February 2024. As always, we're broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building here in Martinsburg and as always propelled by the kind folks over at Country Roads, Ty Renato. We'll tell you a little bit more about them as this broadcast goes on. I'm Luke Wiggs, Marshall Kavalak alongside. Marshall, let's jump right into it because... Uh, for those in our listening area, specifically in Jefferson County, we've got some breaking traffic news. That's right. So uh, the sheriff in Jefferson County, Tom Hansen, uh, texted into our station this morning and said, we have a major crash at 340 South at the Augustine Light south of Charlestown. So that's around Washington High School. Uh, expect long delays, he says. Expect long delays. Now, we're not seeing it right now. Are I you are, it now. Are you're seeing it now on uh, uh, West yeah. Virginia 511. Uh, use your ways. Use your unless you unless you are a customer of AT and T, apparently. Um, in which case, that might be a little difficult. But uh, good for you that you're listening to the radio this morning, because uh, we can tell you that 340 South in the area of Augustine Avenue at that light near the uh, near the high school is uh, there. There are going to be long delays there, so just be mindful of that. Also, there was a pedestrian incident, uh, pedestrian struck incident in. Um, Jefferson County near Summit Point, I've reached out to the state police. They are releasing a, um, information about it directly. Hopefully we'll get that this morning. And when we do, uh, we'll let you know about that in our newscasts. Uh, we try to get that stuff out to the public as quickly as we can. All right, very good. And uh, like you said, we'll continue to update you on that. I'm looking at the 511 page right now, so keep that radio close by, especially if you don't have cell service this morning, Marshall, like our first guest. <laughs> My goodness. Well, first of all, <laughs> Let's introduce her. Executive Director of the Eastern Panhandle Empowerment Center, Katie Spriggs, joins us. Welcome in. I am joining without cell service, but thank <laughs> you for having me. Well, you know, there, there are good things and bad things. Like, I've been off my social, my major social media for a bit, and uh, sometimes it's kind of a bit peaceful. Um, but speaking of peace, uh, we had a couple of uh, major incidents uh, at the end of last year here in Berkeley County involving domestic violence. And I, I'm not sure if that is the whole reason that it propelled this next event, but uh, let's talk about the context. We have some, uh, a little bit of clarity, at least for one of them, um, uh, the one in Martinsburg. But uh, welcome in, first of all, and let's talk about the event, and then we'll talk about some of these issues. Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. So we are hosting a community forum. It's a panel structure, basically, um, and it is. It's a domestic violence homicide reduction forum. And it is sort of in response to a string of incidences that occurred at the end of last year, like you mentioned, but then also just the problem in general. So domestic violence accounts for 30% of all violent crime nationwide. It's one of the leading causes of death among women. And it is the leading cause of homelessness among women. So this is a, a major problem. So it's partially, um, you know, just piggybacking off of a really bad December and then partially just the need for this overall. Um, but the event is going to be held uh, the 29th of February. So happy leap here um, at six o'clock at the Martinsburg Library. Um, they are graciously donating the space. So shout out to them. 
Uh, we have panelists coming. We have the uh, sitting U.S. attorney, Bill Eilenfeld. We have representatives from Martinsburg City Police, Sheriff's Department in Berkeley County. The Berkeley County prosecuting attorney is coming. Um, us, obviously, Epic is sitting on the panel. Um, and the Batterers Intervention Program is coming, Joe Elliott. So we have panelists from kind of the whole gamut. And we have a couple of staged questions that we're going to ask them so the community can hear from them. But then we will open up for community members to ask questions or make comments. What would it take for them to feel safer? What do they think are some of the areas in which we could improve? Um, is protective order access a problem? I know that it is, but hearing it from the community, I think, would be helpful. So then, how do we how do we how do we tackle that? Like, how do we as a team look at accessing safety and making that easier? So it sounds as though uh, you need folks to show up who mm -hmm. have questions, um, but also who have experience in this, who can offer some perspective and say, "Hey, in in my situation, this happened. Has that improved? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I would say there's definitely a space for survivors to come and talk about what would have helped them or what did help them. And then space for just concerned citizens or people who love survivors who want to come. So last last uh, December, uh, we we got news and, and uh, we're, we're really um, you know lucky to have uh, Martinsburg Police Chief Aaron Gibbons on pretty pretty regularly, and he can come on and tell us kind of the a little bit of the the post operative incident report uh, without a ton of the details. But um, we did know that there there was a shooting incident in downtown Martinsburg, for example, mm -hmm. uh, in, in which uh, the uh, ex boyfriend of a young lady was shooting through the door, and so we got that information. We understood that there was a gunfight with the with the police department, and um, and that the the um, the suspect. Uh, was was killed. The victim, one of the victims, was was injured with shrapnel, not seriously, but um, it was it was terrifying. And the interesting thing about this is that the the young lady in question uh, and her new new boyfriend, um, who who lived uh, in Martinsburg, uh, both posted a lot on social media. They were vloggers, and uh, so they have uh, had you know posts, screenshots that kind of th pictures uh, that they dispersed out to a wider audience. And then she sat down with the New York Post and talked about the incident. And one of the things she said was this, this ex-boyfriend, they'd been in a relationship in Washington State. He had put air tags mm -hmm. in her uh, belongings and knew where she was, yep. that she'd come to, to Martinsburg, West Virginia, followed her here, scoped out the area and was seen around the corner on the sidewalk uh, in a day prior or maybe even that day mm -hmm. asking for access to the apartment because he said he was a friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, extremely common. So all of these. That's common. It's common. Yeah, that's stalking. It's extremely common. Um, it happens in almost every domestic violence case. Um, the like gathering of information physically and non-physically at following a person so maybe stalking all of their social media posts and then like sharing those with other people and just having people friend them that they don't know and things like that um and it's so funny because there's this case from the 90s a stalking case that kind of began the national movement to um address stalking and it, it happened almost exactly the same way this one happened so she relocated to a different city um at the time the stalker checked his gun at the airport and flew with it um because it was post 2001 this was post 9-11 um there were little restrictions around flying with firearms so he flew to her new city he hired a pi um he then uh, impersonated a pi talked to a mail delivery person asked if they had seen her they had gave him the address he shot her shot himself and that began this sort of like movement to end stalking and it's interesting that this case follows that 
with modern technology obviously included, um, but this tells you that we haven't solved the problem, right? There is still this, this access issue where people can easily rather stalk people. She probably thought I'm in a new, yep. different state clear across the country. Yep. And the air tags. Yeah. Probably had you. blocked him from all, you know, mm -hmm. from a lot of her social media. Um, it, and she said in this, in this interview with the New York post, she said, you know, he had evil in his eyes mm -hmm. and, and she was texting him while this was going on. She had a post of a text exchange with him, uh, that when he realized that he had shot her, it, it didn't, he said, Oh, I didn't, didn't mean that to happen. Just meant to kill, you know, the, the boyfriend. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so it, Oh, look at it this from it, it's so messed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely the exercise of power and control, which is what domestic violence is, is doing your best to maintain power over other. So power over the victim. Thinking probably that if he killed the boyfriend, she'd come back to him, which we realistically know that that's not <laughs> what would happen probably. But um, that's power and control. That's the cycle. That's really scary. And in the text, while he was in this you know, getting ready to have this gun battle with, with the police, presumably, mm -hmm. uh, according to the screenshot that she, you know, was posted, that was posted on social media related to this case. Um, he, he was saying, um, you know, leave him. Mm -hmm. And, and she says, well, surrender. So he was still trying to, to negotiate right, up to that still point. A chance. Mm -hmm. Probably because what abusers will see, um, is that all of their efforts to maintain power and control before had worked. So they had probably had a historically violent relationship. Over a decade. Yeah, a historically Eleven violent years relationship. Yeah, and then if I do it again, she'll come back because that's what has worked before. So it's like I'm just going to. And then the most dangerous time for survivors is when they leave their offender, um, as you can see, right? Both of these situations, that was the case. Um, and the presence of a firearm in a domestic violence relationship increases the risk of homicide by 500%. So the sheer presence of a firearm um, just in the relationship. So we want to hit that event one more time. But mm -hmm. um, what are some of, if someone is listening to this and, and it's just sounding alarm bells, what are some things, action steps that someone who is in a kind of relationship like that and is a little scared could take right now? Mm -hmm. So you can reach out to us uh, to Epic on our helpline, which is 304-263-8292. Um, or if you're not quite ready to reach out yet, some safety tips I would suggest is in whatever method you can start squirreling away some funds. So whether that's if you have the means to open a new bank account that the abuser doesn't know about. If not, if you I one time worked with a survivor who was hiding cash in the in the cushion of the couch. So if you can just, you know, five bucks every now and again, hide it off. Um, I wouldn't I would be careful um, if money is a trigger um, that this wouldn't trigger an abuser, like don't do large amounts. Um, if you can set up spare sets of keys, because often if survivors go to flee, abusers will take their keys. So if you can have like a second set of car keys or house key or whatever, if you have a safe person that you are set to go to. So if there is an explosive incident, this is where I'm going. Katie Spriggs is with us from the Eastern Panhandle Empowerment Center. Let's talk about that event one more time and, and who can come and, you know, how to how to make a, a take advantage of it. Sure. It's open to the public. We do suggest that participants be over 16 years of age just due to content. But parents are welcome to make that decision for themselves. Um, it is at the Martinsburg Library, 6 p.m. on February 29th. We imagine that it'll end around 8 and we are serving light refreshments. Very good. Well, we really appreciate what you do in the community, and we really appreciate you coming in and giving us the time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. We're going to take a very quick break and continue the conversation in just a moment here on Panhandle Live. 
You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. Scratch my back with lightning bolt. Thunder rolls like a bass drum note. The sound of the weather is heaven's ragtime band. Welcome back to Panhandle Live. Panhandle Live is driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care with a higher level of care with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville online to at countryroadstire.com. Small issue with the phones, Marsha, but we do really appreciate our uh, next caller in guest giving us the time. It's Jill Klein-Rohn. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing, Marsha? Good. I hope the connection is a little better for you. This is better. It was a terrible echo before, but it's, it's gone, so that's good. So we, we're having you on because you are the producer of the Berkeley Springs International Water Tasting, and the 34th is coming to town to Berkeley Springs it's, this weekend. Yes, it is. It is. And as you well know uh, from being a judge last year, uh, there's a lot going on. Yeah, a lot of preparation, a lot. The, during the day, uh, you guys uh, put on quite a show over there. And so uh, if someone's not familiar... Let them know what the event is about. Okay. All right. Well, um, the Berkeley Springs International Water Tasting is the largest and longest-running water tasting in the world. And uh, as you said, it's our 34th year. We taste water. Uh, we taste municipal water. We've got an entry from Australia this year and Canada, all over the United States. We taste bottled, non-carbonated water. Uh, again, this year we've got 14 different countries represented. Uh, we do sparkling water, purified, and then there's a role for the public. We have a People's Choice Package Design Award that right now online the voting is going on at uh, berkeleysprings.com. And also all day Saturday, while the judges are tasting water, then the public who comes to the country in, uh, right in the heart of Berkeley Springs, can also vote for their favorite package. And it's uh, it really is an event, and the public, the the community really does come out. It's interesting uh, when when uh, Jordan and I were there last year. Uh, it seems as though you know we're, we're there judging, but we we feel like you know we're being observed as well. And lots of stakeholders are watching, not only in that room but around the world. Yes, yes, and that's what's so exciting now that we've got the live stream is we know that the people are, are watching, the, the people in Australia, I've been communicating with them, and, and over the last couple years when we've announced winners at the end of the evening, there are people watching and they find out, as, as everybody else in the room finds out at the same time. So it's, it's a far cry from when we started 34 years ago when I would uh, go into the room and start making phone calls to let people know that, like the AP wire and just put it out on the press. And sometimes it took days before people actually found out uh, the results. So it's, it's pretty exciting, like you said, and, and the excitement really does build throughout the day and especially in the evening as we're tallying the votes after the judges are all finished and everyone, uh, the room fills up waiting for um, us to announce the results and for the famous water rush at the end. Well, do you guys have some uh, repeat heavy hitters? I mean, are there uh, repeat winners uh, in this event that, you know, so-and-so is entering this year? They've, they've won several times. They might be heavy favorites going into this year. 
Well, we do, and it's interesting. In the municipal category, Clearbrook, B.C., Canada has won a number of times. They're not entered this year, and they do that on purpose. Every few years they take off. But we also have Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, Hamilton, Ohio, the village of Montpelier, Ohio. I'm saying all of those, a Mission Springs Water District from Desert Hot Springs, California, because they're all gold medal winners. Um, so we, we have a lot of those uh, that are consistently in the top. You know, sometimes the gold shifts, uh, obviously, from different, uh, different towns. But it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. The, the, there is some consistency which just validates our scoring system. Jill klein Rohn is with us. She's the producer of the 34th annual Berkeley Springs International Water Tasting. And it's not just the tasting on that day. Can you walk our listeners through uh, the, the yes. events leading up to the water tasting? Absolutely. Tomorrow we have a fantastic seminar, Water Beneath the Surface and Around the Globe. Uh, we have people talking about all different aspects of water, a movie called Eroding History. We've actually got two Zoom presentations because the people couldn't be here. Uh, one of them will be talking about the importance of hydration for your health. The other is our Lifetime Achievement Award winner, uh, Mark Edwards, who um, is, uh, he, he's done the investigative research in the lead, D.C. lead crisis, and also Flint, Michigan, was he was um, a primary in that. So that's from 1 to 5 at the country, and it's free and open to the public. Also live-streamed um, on Berkeley Springs WV Facebook page. And then tomorrow night, we've got a world premiere of a movie, H2O, The Intelligence of Water. It was shot around the world and in part at the 2022 Berkeley Springs International Water Tasting by the filmmaker Emmanuel ETA, who was also a judge. And we'll be there tomorrow night to uh, have questions and answers and have a discussion, short discussion after that movie, which is at the Historic Star Theater at 8 o'clock. Again, it's free and open to the public, and we hope to uh, really make a big splash with it. (laughs) And on Saturday... And on Saturday, we start at 2.30, and that's when the public can come in. And there are exhibitors. There are uh, public tastings. The the public can taste the water that the judges are tasting. The only difference is they will know what they're tasting, and the judges don't. And so that's from 2.30 to about 4.30. We take a break for dinner and come back at 6.30, from 6.30 until about, well, Till it's all over, till 8 is the judging goes on. We shut down um, the package design judging and all of the other judges are finished. We'll be tallying the votes. There's a reception put on by the country inn. And, uh, and then we, show the, um, we present the Lifetime Achievement Award and announce all the winners. And there's the big water rush. Can you talk a little bit more about the water rush? Well, yes. Uh, you've, you've probably heard about that, Luke. So we have lots of water. They send uh, people, like I said, from all over the world, send us boxes and boxes of water. We've got enough for the judges to taste. We've got enough for the public to taste. And then we have a great display that where people can see all the bottles and all the different kinds of water. And so um, it's kind of self-serving because, you know, if, we, if everyone just went home, then we'd be left having to pack up all that water. So at the end of the night, the public is invited to come in and in a very peaceful and orderly <laughs> way, she said. Um, the people uh, dispense with the water display, basically. It's enthusiastic. It's, I'll say it's enthusiastic. 
It is very enthusiastic. <laughs> and, uh, and, and when it's all said and done, and it takes, you know, it takes a couple hours to set it all up. It takes about, oh, I don't know what, two, three minutes? Maybe? <laughs> Less than for that. Most of, for most of that water to disappear. And, uh, and then people get to take home souvenirs. They, some of people might have their eye on their favorite shape of a bottle or just a certain water that they want. We know people who have bottled water collections, and actually there's a guy up in New York that we're talking to now. I mean, he's purchased water from all over the world and, uh, and has gotten some from us. And uh, we're talking with him about the possibility of some of it coming here for a permanent display. We're not exactly sure where, but we're talking with the guy. <laughs> Very good. Well, our guest this morning, Jill Klein-Rohn, it sounds as though it's going to be an energetic and fun weekend. Uh, we hope everybody in Berkeley Springs has a blast, and we appreciate you giving us the time. And can I just say, Travel Berkeley Springs welcomes everyone. That's who produces this event, and, and we sure hope people come and join us. All righty. Very good. Thank you for giving us a call this morning. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Absolutely. That is uh, Jewel Klein Roan out there in Berkeley Springs. And it's a fun event, isn't it, Marsha? And our own Daniel Hedges from Cool 92.9 will be one of the celebrity judges this year. <laughs> well, we've got one more break to take in the show, and uh, we'll get to our next guest on the other side. Stay tuned through the bottom of the hour. It is Panhandle Live. We're talking about the issues that matter most to you. Now, back to Panhandle Live. Welcome back inside the Hoppy Kirchville building here in the WEPM and WCST studios as Panhandle Live continues. I'm Luke Wiggs, Marsh Kavalik alongside, and uh, Marsha, don't look now, but you're joined by probably the two biggest uh, Las Vegas Raider fans in the Eastern Panhandle <laughs> as we get into uh, Wait, our, our next Wait, it's segment. Las Vegas? Mm-hmm. They, they move around from time <laughs> to time. They might I'm be the Martinsburg Raiders so, here in the next 10 I'm years. I'm so confused. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, appreciate him letting himself in. Uh, second of all, I appreciate him bringing gifts. He brought you a sports ball cap. Yes, indeed. Brought me a book about Pearl Harbor. So, that is way cool. Um, but we'd be glad to have him on, even if he wasn't bringing gifts. It is local author and historian Steve French, because today is the day. It is George Washington's birthday. Welcome in. Hi. haven't been in for a month or so, I guess, and... Uh, I thought this would be a good time to go uh, have a uh, segment on the real George Washington's birthday. Absolutely. Now, um, of course, today it's been uh, kind of put in onto a three-day weekend that can never be on his uh, the uh, President's Day today. Uh, now can never be on his real birthday because it's always the third Monday of the month. Of course, his real birthday is the twenty-second of February, and that's why we're here today. And Talk a little bit, uh, what a big celebration it was for many, many years. Even before it became a national holiday, I think in the 1880s or late 1870s, it was a big deal. Okay, we're, let's do some local stuff. The biggest spectacle Paul Paul ever had. Now, this is WCST. Besides the, this is not the parade, like the Memorial Day parade? No, it's not, Memorial the, Day parade, not the, the Memorial Day parade. Or <laughs> not the, the Christmas parade? It wasn't the opening of the B&O Railroad or the, uh, the, the, uh, across the river, the big tunnel in the CNO Canal. The biggest spectacle in Paul Paul's history was February 22, 1862. General Frederick Lander had a review of his 8,000 troops that were in Paul Paul at that time in honor of George Washington. Wow. And I mean, it was a big deal. All Are there the 8,000 people in Paul Paul right now? 
maybe uh, 80. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not Cause, sure. Because the, the troops probably quadrupled. The, well, oh, I can't oh, even do the math. It, well, uh, But uh, 8,000. 410 is the population. Okay. Pop out of the, and, uh, that was exponentially more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all over the country, um, uh, back from revolutionary time on, it was a big deal. And um, today it's uh, it's a uh, markdown sales and things like that. They have a good the, sofa, <laughs> new car. Holiday. Okay, so I'm not going to complain that there's a three-day weekend. But uh, when, when you look back into history and you say that people, the purists, really, uh, you know, marked this day, this occasion, because of his impact on the founding of the nation right. and his serving as the first president. Right. Um, you know, He was the indispensable man. If you look back in the history of the United States, there's no one else that should have his own holiday, okay, than George Washington, and he did for many years <laughs> until it was changed in, eight, in uh, 1968. But uh, he was called the indispensable man. He's, he's in the, uh, he starts the French and Indian War with uh, Adam Stevens, the founder of Martinsburg. Adam Stevens, neglected person in history that Martinsburg has honored but should honor more. I think that you want to see a statue. I, I like to see a statue square. of Adam Stevens in Town Square. He he is an important figure in the French and Indian War, one of the most important in my uh, estimate estimate. And um, he, of course, he's in the Revolution later on. He's friend and foe of Washington throughout his life. You know, they they're involved in politics and land deals. Sometimes they're friends, sometimes they're foe. Finally, uh, during the uh, uh, a Revolutionary War, Washington is looking for a place to uh, put the young mercenary Marquis de Lafayette, who's only 19 years old. Where is he putting? In command of Adam Stevens' Virginia mm-hmm. Division. Adam Stevens is put up on court-martial and, and uh, uh, relieved of command, and Lafayette takes his job. But uh, like I said, uh, Washington is really connected with the Eastern Panhandle. Now, I'm not going to say too much about Jefferson County. Of course, his brothers lived there, and he's well-known there. Uh, sometime, maybe, Marsha, you should have Rick Snowden in uh, in the studio and have a, have, a, have a talk on Washington and Jefferson County. He's an authority on it, and uh, uh, Doug Perks down there also. Um, but uh, we'll talk about him in uh, Berkeley County uh, first, uh, let's his connection with Adam Stephen. Adam Stephen and George Washington start the French and Indian War. And, and what can year? You, I'm sorry. Can, can you talk, uh, that story is one that I've heard before, okay. and it, I don't want to get it wrong. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it it ended up being a little bit of an unfortunate. They ended up carrying or killing a message carrier, didn't they? Kill an ambassador. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're in the wilds of Pennsylvania. Fort Necessity is going to be built later. Some of you, it's right off Route 40 in, in the mountains of Pennsylvania. But uh, what's going on, the French and, um, and the uh, uh, English are both, they both want that area for, uh, the French want it for trade, fur trade. The English want it for land speculation. Washington is there with a small command with Adam Stevens as his second in command. Um, there's... Stuff going back and forth, but basically this small uh, patrol of Frenchmen come along. They're going to deliver a message. A man named Jumonville is going to deliver a message, leave the Ohio Valley. That's it. He's going to come there. 
Well, what happens? They're going to be ambushed by Washington and Adam Stevens as they're taking a break. They're t- resting. I think it's early. Uh, maybe they've just had breakfast or something. And, um, of course, uh, 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 Washington thinks they're coming there to do them harm. Mm. And uh, they ambush them at, at, in their camp after, the, uh, after things settled down. Jumonville is seated. He's a prisoner along with officers and some of the men. And an Indian chief named the Half King. That's not his Indian name. But the Half King had a uh, big grudge against the English. He'd been embarrassed by them at a, a conference one time, not by Washington, but by English. And uh, he had a blood feud with the English. To settle that blood feud, you know what he did, Marsha? <laughs> I'm going to let you tell us. <laughs> he walked over. Jumonville's on, seated on the ground. Mind his own business. He walks over, takes his hatchet out, hits Jumonville in the back of the head. Now this is rough. (laughs) (laughs) And washes his hands with his brain. Mm. Good gracious. And that gets the... That gets that the some French and Indian, right that gets a French and Indian War started. <laughs> wow. Right yeah. there. Right there. That moment. Yeah. Later on, uh, uh, in July, I think, 9th uh, or so, but in July uh, 1754, uh, uh, Washington is still there. Adam Stevens, they're attacked at Fort Necessity. They're attacked by the French and forced to surrender. French and Indians. So Washington and Adam Stevens were forced to surrender? Right. And was just to back up because I'm trying to put this in perspective. He was a general then, George Washington. No, he was Colonel of Virginia Militia. Gotcha. It was a Virgi- Virginia and England were involved in this land dealings out in the, out in the uh, um, out in the uh, Pennsylvania Highlands. And um, of course, he goes on, but you know, can probably to do an hour segment or two hour segments on Washington, but not only in the French and Indian wars, he's important to have Stevenson and in the uh, revolution. There's one thing about Washington. People believed he soldiers believed he couldn't get killed. Wow. So there was like a Lord, right? Like you have some, him. some stories about Indian braves that they have certain braves that, the rest of the tribe thought couldn't get killed no matter. But Washington at the Battle of Monongahela has five bullet holes in his coat. He mm. is usually, he's a tall man, 6'4", so. Easy he's target. usually the tallest man on the battlefield. During the Revolution, they have snipers trying to pick him off. He's out, on, he's out directing the battle. He never gets hit. <laughs> <laughs> but back, back to this area. Did he ever write, did he ever comment on that himself? He wrote a diary. About about his whole uh, life every day. Uh, so yeah. did he I, mention I imagine, that? I imagine he did. I remember there was a a, a preacher. He used to be on the radio. Uh, Robert Kennedy, Kennedy. Kennedy. I might have the wrong name, but uh, Kennedy was his last name from Coral Gables, Florida. And uh, about every year on the uh, anniversary of Washington's uh, birthday, he would he would do uh, a talk on him, and he he would always bring that up that the other people were amazed he never got hit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But back to the panhandle, you go out to Hedgesville. He's c- connected with Hedgesville in these diaries. Um, it uh, shows uh, he writes about Stain. 
at the Hedges property, which is right across from uh, Ave's locksmith shop. Okay. And uh, not the big house that's there today, but the house is there today, but there's a log cabin in the back, back of it. That's where he stayed. The that Snod- is so cool. The Snodgrass Tavern, before you go over Back Creek, he stays there. But the Warm Spring Road, he would uh, 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 he would bring his family and he, himself from time to time to take the waters in Berkeley Springs. He, uh, he had land investments in Berkeley Springs hmm. and uh, well-known there. Uh, John Douglas, the late editor of the Morgan Messenger, back in probably the 90s or so, uh, wrote a uh, nice pamphlet, probably 70, 80 pages long, George Washington and Us, and just goes what he did in Morgan County, his experiences there. Our guest this morning is local author and historian Steve French. We we know that, uh, but, you know, aside from his military conquests, he um, he and his brothers all purchased property. He right. uh, surveyed right. uh, as part of his uh, other jobs right. uh, around here. So how impactful is something like that, aside from all of the, you know, the, the governance and the military conquests? Well, it led to the settlement of this, this area of land. Uh, uh, in Jefferson County and Hampshire County, a lot of the uh, big farms in Hampshire and what's Mineral County today along uh, Patterson Creek, along the South Branch, those uh, survey crews uh, laid them off for Lord Fairfax. Uh, so Lord Fairfax wouldn't have all these squatters coming in, <laughs> the Scotch-Irish squatters that were coming <laughs> hey, across the <laughs> Those are my relatives. Got to have some about. places to live. <laughs> and, uh, well, they... They were looking for land, but they didn't want to pay any rent for it. <laughs> get, get Aren't we all? <laughs> they'd get kicked off, and they would have to move west. They had to get, keep going, and when they got to California over the years, that was, that was as far as they could go. But, uh, yeah, he's very impactful in this area. But uh, the, the connection with Adam Stevens. Well, can you expand on that a little? You mentioned friend and foe. So they served together uh, in the French and Indian War, the Seven Years' War, and right. then again in the Revolutionary War, right? So right. they're they're side by side with each other through a pretty important you period of history. T- you take in the Battle of the Monongahela, where the General Braddock lost 900 men and himself. He, Adam Stevens and the Rangers from Frederick County opened a way up for the survivors to get back across the Monongahela River, they went into the woods and and took on the Indians in the woods rather than staying in formation and, and being shot down. Adam Stevens was, was one of the reasons some of them got out alive, including George Washington, because like that battle, as I said, he was, uh, he was shot through his um, clothing five times and probably a couple horses too. Wow. <laughs> So but Adam, he's a big target, yeah. So Adam Stevens what rallied them to a, a safety point or held well, what off he the... did, the Indians uh, had attacked head on first, and then they seen they were they weren't going to be successful, and they spread out into the woods where they couldn't be seen. The in, the uh, British are in a clearing, and the battle goes on for three hours. But Adam Stevens and other Rangers will go into the woods and open up a corridor so the the survivors can get out. So you mentioned the rangers going into the woods, but at that point did was the the um did did the military men still fight in formation? Yes. Were they lining the Eng- up? The English did, but the Virginians wouldn't. The Virginians and English couldn't get along together <laughs> all the way all the way 
A little precursor the, for the... To the, the Monongahela. <laughs> they didn't like one another. and uh, But these rangers helped to save them. Of course, they took heavy casualties when they went into the woods. But, uh, yeah, Adam Stevens, uh, and they would they would be involved in politics... Well, can you? T- we talked about the friend side of thing. Can you talk about the foe side of thing? Like you mentioned, they they end up having some disagreements later well, on. Well, I think the biggest disagreement is going to be when he's replaced by Lafayette. Mm. And, right there, that'll do it. And uh, I was at Yorktown one day, and and uh, a young uh, park ranger lady was giving a, a talk about Lafayette, and uh, and uh, when she finished, I said, "You didn't say anything about the man he replaced." She, she didn't know. I said, well, it was a famous Adam Stevens founder of Martinsburg. Have I got a story for you? <laughs> so I and guess- and he, was, he, um, he wasn't upset about it. He came back to, uh, came back to this area and uh, uh, vested in land and, and so on and uh, got Martinsburg off the ground. And obviously things worked out for the Continental Army after right. that too. <laughs> yeah. So you know, can't complain. <laughs> and it was it was a lot of politics that was involved because uh, they wanted French support, and Lafayette uh, was a nobleman of France. And the thing about Stevens, he's he's not one of the first families of Virginia. He was a Scottish immigrant. He had been a doctor in uh, in uh, in the British Navy, and even it fought a battle against pirates there, which he won when the mm-hmm. captain wanted to surrender. He, he got some men and took a cannon when the pirates going board the board, the ship, they shot him. And, uh, but he wasn't one of the first families of Virginia. He wasn't a Lee. He wasn't a Washington. So to today, today we, uh, though he was a very important figure, he's back in history. Mm-hmm. He's back in history. And of course, Steve French leading the effort to get a monument, a permanent monument. I think they should have something down the square. I mean, Martinsburg, look at Hack Wilson. Yeah. Great baseball player. You know, I, I, my uncle used to, my great uncle used to run around with him in Martinsburg. So, that so cool. <laughs> they, they weren't eating chicken wings then or anything, but they <laughs> <laughs> So many good stories. Yeah. So uh, before you have to leave us, if, if you had uh, something to just, you know, tell the listeners about the importance of George Washington and his family uh, here in the Panhandle. Uh, any other tidbits or, or ways folks can find out more? Well, uh, you know, Washington probably has as many books or, or not as many as Lincoln. Of course, Lincoln's a leader as far as uh, uh, books, uh, but the library is full of books on George Washington uh, and people interested in finding out what he did in the Panhandle. I'm sure there's some websites that you can get on and just type in uh, Martins, uh, wouldn't be Martinsburg then, but type in Charlestown, Virginia, or, or uh, Berkeley Springs, Bath. Type in Bath and George Washington, and you'd get stuff. But he should have his own holiday. I mean, this stuff of having he a three day to. holiday, <laughs> this stuff of having a three day holiday for the indispensable man. That's what he was called. Mm. That's so, and that's that's not taking anything from. Lincoln maybe should have his own holiday too, but they days more, off for everyone says Steve French. <laughs> like the like the Romans, they just kept adding holidays, and they had almost as many holidays as they had work days after a while. See, we all like that until we have to mail a letter or go to the bank. And James right. Rumsey's connected with George Washington. How? Um, Washington is is interested in improving navigation on the Potomac. He's in Berkeley Springs. 
James Drums. He's a carpenter up there and a mechanic. He can do things. And he has this uh, idea about a steam-powered boat. So he was one of the sponsors of James Rumsey. Wow. Yeah. Who even knew? Yeah. So Steve French is with us, also an indispensable man, we should yeah. point out. Um, so <laughs> uh, what's your calendar looking like? Are you having any talks in the near future? Or I wait have until a, spring? a few in uh, Chambersburg and uh, one in Cumberland coming up in the next month or so. And then another uh, Martinsburg Heritage Day. Uh, in May. In May, the Sunday, down to Roundhouse. And then a big one in Greencastle we're going to do. Uh, about the burning of Chambersburg, which is anniversary this year. But the uh, bringing in Berkeley County to that, the Confederate Raiders had burned Chambersburg, over 500 buildings. Maybe we'll do a show on that. Yeah, July. absolutely. Left from Hedgesville. Hmm. They hmm. left to go burn. Uh, <laughs> Always an Eastern Panhandle connection. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what we want to want to promote here. <laughs> well, Steve, I appreciate you coming in. Also appreciate the fact that you uh, let us know about a lot of great historians who might be in the area and right. uh, hook up, hook us up with those conversations as well. Yeah, and uh, thank you very much for coming in, local author and historian and Raider fan, Steve. Yes. And the Thanks hat and the, the book. Thank you. <laughs> okay, we'll take a break and wrap up the show on the other side. It's Panhandle Live. You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. A couple of headlines we want to hit before we vacate and turn things over to Metro News Talk Line coming up at the top of the hour. Marcia, we have an update uh, on that wreck in Jefferson County. Um, that's right. So the sheriff uh, of Jefferson County, Tom Hansen, said traffic should be open in about 30 minutes. Uh, that crash happening at 340 South in the area of the Augustine Avenue uh, inter- intersection with the light near Washington High School. So uh, just be mindful of that because, uh, you know, when it traffic's backed up, it takes a little while to, to clear even after the accident scene is cleared. And we have an update that uh, you might have heard yesterday evening and this morning on our news product. Of course, our news product runs from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the top of every hour uh, for a breaking and entering that happened on February 16th at about 10 a.m., uh, where Deputy Webb of the Berkeley County Sheriff's Department responded to raise guns on Tabler Station Road in Martinsburg uh, for reported B&E. And upon arrival, Webb found that two men had attempted to break into the gun shop earlier that morning at approximately 545. Again, that's 545 a.m. After reviewing video of the incident, he observed that two males had pried the front door open but fled after an audible alarm was activated. Uh, and video showed that the males were driving a red Jeep Patriot with Maryland plates. Uh, they were able to check DMV files and found that the uh, the plate was stolen from Harward, Har- uh, Howard County, excuse me, Maryland, um, and should have been displayed on a 2013 Chevy. Uh, so then the, the story goes on to say at approximately 3.45 in the afternoon, Deputy Webb and other patrol units responded to a disturbance in progress at Melville Drive in Inwood, and then upon arriving at the scene, they observed a red Jeep Patriot sitting in the driveway of a residence and saw that the vehicle was bearing the same plates, uh, and the registration is the vehicle that was breaking uh, that attempted that breaking and entering at Ray's Guns earlier in the morning. Once contact was made with the occupants of the residence, Webb observed two males who matched the description of the two males who had attempted to break into Ray's Guns and noticed that the men were still wearing the same clothes that they had been wearing from the video at the shop. The men were identified, Dontres Johnson and David Taylor, both who are 23 years old from Baltimore, uh, and they were taken into custody. Uh, so an update there. Yeah, and, and thank you to the Berkeley County Sheriff's Office. Uh, Chief Administrative Officer Eric Burnett uh, sent that press release out, and we were able to get that on the air uh, really quickly, thanks to Daniel Woods. But uh, uh, 
Burnett says uh, this was outstanding police work. And when you when you put those pieces together and realize these gentlemen were coming from Baltimore, they had a stolen vehicle with separate stolen plates and they were trying to break into a gun shop. Uh, there's there's nothing good. I can't think of any good outcome that would have come from that had they not been halted. Coming up, another edition of Metro News Talk Line, a busy show lineup per usual for Hoppy Kirchival. The Deputy House Speaker, Mount Rohrbach, will be on to uh, lead off the show. Kent Leonhardt, the State Ag Commissioner. But, Marcia, I think a lot of people are going to be interested for the 1033 interview with Jeff Jenkins uh, because we're going to start to get more details about the police stopping Transportation Secretary Jimmy Riston. So, yeah, that obviously there's a lot of conjecture around that. We don't want to be one of those conjecturing, uh, but uh, they, the police department in Charleston is looking into that traffic stop with a um, you know more investigative lens now, and hopefully Jeff will have an update for us. Well, that's going to do it for us. Another edition of Panhandle Live. We really appreciate our guests this morning. Um, they had Katie Spriggs from Epic, Jill klein Roan as well from uh, Berkeley Springs, and then local historian and author Steve French. We're going to be posting this episode on our Spotify coming up here in just a couple of no- uh, minutes. That is Panhandle News Network on Spotify. Encourage you to stay tuned for Metro News Talk Line. And I encourage you, we've got some high school girls sectional basketball tonight as Washington takes on Musselman. That game is going to be tipping off at 7 o'clock this evening. You're not going to want to miss that. For Marsha, I've been Luke Wiggs, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.